You're positive were the first words my father said to me the moment he hung up the phone. My first instinct was to laugh, not because I didn't believe him, but because the whole situation was so ridiculous, laughing seemed like the only reasonable reaction. Only earlier that day had my sister and I gone to the hospital to receive our PCR tests, hoping for negative test results in order for us to be able to fly back in America in just a few days. We had been staying in South Korea for the better half of our summer vacation, and now it was time for us to return home. Or that was the plan. We hated getting PCR tests. Not because they were a hassle, though they were, but because in Korea, they would stick the Q-tip so far up that even though it initially went in your nose, you felt it in the back of your mouth. But it was worth it if it meant we could get on a plane to return to the US. So when we got that call from the hospital saying I was positive, well, let's just say we got a little freaked out. There were two things that made me doubt that the test results were even accurate. One, I hadn't been feeling any sort of symptoms at all, nor had been any contact with people, including my family. Second, I was vaccinated. Twice! I had to go through the annoying ache in my arm as the Pfizer vaccine made its way through my body, and so was it all for naught? It didn't matter, though, because even if I was right and it was a false positive, we wouldn't have enough time to schedule another PCR test, and either way, we'd have to reschedule our flight. It was a mess. I tried to calm myself down. Alright, so I'm positive. It's not the end of the world. I don't feel sick, so I probably won't die. And having to stay two weeks in quarantine in the apartment won't be so bad. I've done before. Yes, you heard that right. Korean law has stated any visitor from another country was required to stay in quarantine for two weeks from arrival. So that was fun. Besides, school doesn't start for another couple of weeks, so I don't even have to worry about that. But there was something else that I didn't worry about. As my father would soon come to tell me, another Korean law stated that any person who received any positive test result for COVID-19 was required to spend 7 to 10 days in isolation in a special facility. The other shoe had dropped. I remember my grandma was crying. I felt like crying too. It all felt so unfair. I mean, not only was I vaccinated, but a minor. You would think they'd be willing to make an exception for those types of cases. My grandma was insisting she go with me even though she was negative herself. But even I knew it would be dangerous for a senior citizen to stay in a place literally infested with people with actual severe symptoms of COVID. My dad could have gone with me, but he had work and my sister to think about, so alone it was. It was frustrating to say the least, but if I was going to have to stay in a cramped room with no one else but my own thoughts for company, I wasn't going without extorting as many Korean snacks my father would buy me. See, food was the biggest concern for me. Everyone in my family knew I had a picky appetite and would willingly starve myself rather than force any sort of food I didn't like down my throat. So my father, unsurprisingly, was more generous than usual to the amount of snacks he'd let me bring. Banana kicks, choco boys, pocky, choco pies, the list went on. Lemons and lemonade, as they said. There was just one more concern to ponder about. It turned out that I wouldn't actually spend isolation alone. They'd be giving me a roommate, which seemed kind of stupid to me considering the whole point of isolation was to keep the virus from spreading. So why would they just put two positives together in a small room? Plus, worst case scenario, what if we didn't get along? It's not like one of us could just walk out of the room when we were sick of each other. There was a real Lord of the Flies possibility here. But it didn't matter. I had to just suck it up. So the next day, while watching the Tokyo 2020 Olympics to see how Korea was doing in the men's individual archery, 
We lost. The phone rang, indicating that the ambulance to take me to the facility was arriving. I got up and gathered all my stuff that I'd be taking with me. It wasn't a very cheery goodbye with my family. My sister even looked like she was holding back her laughs. But I did spend a good amount of time hugging everyone farewell, even though it wasn't COVID-friendly. The ambulance ride wasn't as cool as I thought it was going to be. It was uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. Especially with the plastic gloves they made us wear. And it was cramped. I was stuck in the back with two other ladies in their own luggage. One was middle-aged and the other was a senior. All three of us were quiet and the only distant sound of the sound from up above to fill our ears. It was honestly a relief when we finally reached the facility. What happened next was all really hectic. We were guided inside by people in those hazmat suits you see in movies and were given these paper bags that contained the following items. Wet wipes, hand sanitizer, some sort of cleaning spray, and a bunch of documents explaining the rules that were to be followed when staying there. The room we were in was already inhabited by some other unfortunate positive-stricken people who were all standing six feet apart as another person in a hazmat suit at front was standing next to a whiteboard. We all went where the workers pointed to. Since my Korean-speaking skills were, to put it lightly, needing improvement, another worker had to stand next to me translating what the person in front was saying. He was very aggressive, the person in front. Not exactly mad, but if he wasn't wearing the hazmat suit, Spit would definitely be flying everywhere. He spoke rapidly, his voice booming across the room. I felt like I was at military camp. When we were finally dismissed, we were given these access cards that were the key to our rooms, and we were expected to be able to find them on our own. Mine was on the second floor, of course. Lugging my heavy bags up the stairs was a challenge, and it was even more annoying when it took a while to figure out which hallway my room was in. So by the time I finally reached it, I was a tad out of it. Mentally preparing myself, I entered what was to be my room for the next 10 days. The room itself was smaller than I thought, with only enough room for two beds, two desks, and a single fridge in the middle of it all. The only real room it had to move around was the tiny aisle made between the beds. The first things my eyes went to was the loud TV on one of the desks playing some sort of K-drama as some emotional music played. And that's when I noticed the person watching said TV in her bed on the left side of the room. She hadn't even looked away when the door had opened, and judging by the crumbled sheets, the clothes drying on the hanger, and messy desk, she had been here for a while. It was awkward to introduce myself while I struggled to put away my stuff, and it was even more awkward when I realized that she was wearing only a single loose leopard print bathrobe and I had to turn away while she got changed. For privacy purposes, I'm going to refer to her as Kay. Kay was around her 30s and had a short and stout stature, much like other middle-aged women in Korea. And while our initial interaction was uncomfortable, Kay was nice enough to explain the ways things worked around here. She showed me the large box that sat at the end of my bed, which was filled with all sorts of utilitarian items like toilet paper, shampoo and body wash, toothbrush and toothpaste, towels, water bottles, bathroom slippers, and they had even included a six-pack of cup ramen and a small box of instant coffee. She even showed me how we were supposed to record our temperature and heartbeat twice a day. She also explained how we were supposed to separate our regular trash from food waste. Speaking of which, while it appeared the facility was willing to provide us with nail clippers and razors, proper trash cans were a different story. Our regular trash had to go in these cardboard boxes that had biohazard symbols printed on them, while our food waste were literal toxic waste buckets. Honestly, I still wonder if I should have been offended by that. We weren't even allowed to dump liquids into the buckets. Instead, we had to flush them down the toilet. Overall, the place wasn't bad, and if anything, it kind of reminded me of a more run-down version of those Swedish prisons you hear people talk about. 
emphasis on the prison. The first day was probably the hardest to go through. After just placing my stuff at the closet in the back of the room, I kept to myself and just sat in my bed when I realized that my body was shaking, most likely from nerves. I began scrolling through manga on my phone, hoping to calm myself down, and Kay, thankfully, wasn't the overly social type, so she just stayed quiet too while watching the TV, laughing aloud every once in a while. I texted the rest of my family, saying I'd arrived safely and was settling in, and I also made sure to mention that I preferred if they didn't call or FaceTime since I was still wary of the other person in the room. But my father, of course, had other plans. When he called the first time, I declined, and texted him urgently to understand the situation, but even through text, I could sense the irritation in my father's words of, Don't you ever hang up on me again, Nicole Lee. So I had no choice but to pick up the phone when he called again, and what made matters worse was when he asked to speak to Kay. I begged him not to, but he continued to insist, so finally I awkwardly turned to Kay, who was on her phone, and told her my father wished to speak for her. I felt like a child as my father talked to Kay about how sweet of a girl I was and asked her to take care of me while I was there. Kay seemed to be okay with it, though. Dinner was a simple Korean-style lunchbox with cold white rice, dry chicken croquettes, and just plain bad kimchi. There were other side dishes as well, but I didn't eat them. The slightly rancid smell managed to make me lose my appetite. I thought that being able to sleep would prove difficult, but to my delight, the covers and blankets that were given were actually quite comfortable and I slept just fine that night. The second day was tough. Unlike the first, when I arrived in late noon, I had to spend the entire day in that room. I tried to make time pass by by watching K-dramas on Netflix on my laptop, since a typical K-drama episode was around an hour long, and they were easy to get invested in. It worked for a while, but eventually I started to succumb to boredom. The only other significant thing to happen that day was when I was called out of my room in order to receive an x-ray. An x-ray I never received the result for, I may add. The rest of the day was just spent playing an online horror game my sister recommended and awkwardly not talking to Kay except for meals. The next few days were pretty similar overall. I'd wake up, or Kay would by turning on the lights, waste time on my laptop, try to eat my meals, and go to bed. It was hard to tell when time passed because even though we had a window, we just never opened it. So days passed in a blur more quickly than I thought, though that was probably because I woke up and went to bed earlier than I usually did. During all of this, I'd barely interact with Kay, though sometimes she suggests that we'd have a cup ramen together, which I'd happily agree to since our usual food sucked and eating cup ramen alone when someone else was in the room felt rude. Until then, I'd never fully appreciated cup ramen. I always preferred packaged ramen since it tasted fresher, but when you're in isolation surrounded by smelly, healthy herbs and badly cooked croquettes, cup ramen becomes your salvation. I opted to text my loved ones over calling since I didn't want to make Kay uncomfortable by having her listen in on my conversations. But she didn't seem to have that problem, as every day she'd be chatting away on her phone. I was fine with it since my Korean wasn't so good so I couldn't even understand what she was saying in the first place. Though the few things I did overhear was when she was talking about me, and I had no choice but to listen as she told people on the other line how she had a roommate who, although was about 17 years old, my Korean age, was still taller than her, and came from America, and couldn't speak much Korean, and, despite being vaccinated, still managed to arrive in isolation. I felt slightly guilty when I once overheard Kay tell her friend she didn't believe in the COVID vaccine, and kept using me as an example of why it didn't work. By the eighth day, the landline phone that sat on Kay's desk rang. Kay, being the only one fluent in Korean, picked it up. The conversation went on for a while, but the overall guest was this. Kay was leaving tomorrow. 
We weren't particularly close, so I didn't feel that sad when we got the news. But I was a little jealous at the thought of still being stuck here. The feeling didn't last long once a realization dawned on me. Kay had only been there a day longer than I have, which means I wouldn't have to wait that much longer before my release. The rest of the day was spent with Kay telling me what I'd have to do now that she was going. Since she wouldn't be here, I would have to take out the trash myself, a task which Kay usually took it upon herself to do, and I needed to learn what times they brought in our meals, because if our meals weren't taken in within two hours upon delivery, they were thrown out. I could tell Kay was excited to leave from how she was eagerly packing up all of her things and happily talking to her friends on the phone for the longest time. And then tomorrow came, day nine. As protocol stated, when leaving the facility, the occupant was required to throw away everything that was provided to them when they arrived. So a lot of time was spent with Kay bringing a tall stack of hazard waste boxes to which she threw away everything, including her sheets and other utilitarian items that she had been given. Soon after she left, I spent a little time celebrating. Not because Kay was gone, but because I'd finally had a room to myself. That was what I was probably looking forward to the most when hearing about Kay's release. It was most likely the happiest I'd been since isolation began, but in the middle of my mini-celebration, the landline rang again. Never had I rushed so quickly to pick up a phone. Just as I had expected, it was a call from the center, telling me that I'd be able to leave the next day. I remained calm throughout the call, but the moment I hung up, dancing it was. It was true elation. I was feeling more exhilarating than when Kay had left. For the rest of the day, I wouldn't stay still. I kept moving around the room, rushing to pack my things and throw away everything as fast as possible as if doing so would make tomorrow come faster. This is how Kay must have felt, I thought. I treated myself to two cup ramen that day. I was that happy. And when tomorrow finally arrived, I didn't even need Kay to wake me up this time. I was just too eager. I wasn't allowed to leave until I got a phone call to do so, so I was waiting on the ground next to the phone, desperately hoping it would ring. My heart leapt when the familiar ring filled the room. I wasn't even listening to what the other person on the line was saying. My head was just filled with thoughts on what I'd do once I got home. Eating. Definitely eating. I had lost at least a kilogram while staying there. Approximately two pounds to you Americans. Stepping out of the room for the first time in over a week was a strange experience. It actually took me a while to find where the stairs were because I'd forgotten how I got there in the first place. My bags felt as heavy as the first time I brought them in, but I didn't care. I would have happily carried them for over 10 miles if it meant I could leave. Once I finally did leave, having been picked up by my aunt, things were pretty smooth from there on. My sister and my father still had to wait out their quarantine since they'd been in contact with me, which didn't make much sense since I was the one who got positive and yet their quarantines were longer. We did eventually make it back to America, but the earliest flight we could book was August 22nd, a day before the first day of school, meaning we had to go an entire week jet-lagged and buried in schoolwork, so that was fun. Not many summer vacations will quite live up to what I experienced this year, but then again, it's not something I'm interested in reliving. So... How was your break?